A reading from the prophet Ezekiel, beginning in the 34th chapter, the first verse. The, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but with the shepherds have fed themselves, and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading the King James Version of Psalm 23, responsively by whole verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness 
for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparedest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Well, not surprisingly, with today's theme being Good Shepherd, that was reflected in many of the scriptures we just read and heard. And this morning, I want to draw from each of these passages at least a little bit in hopes of teasing out the implications of Jesus being our good shepherd. And to do so, I'll enlist the aid of scholars Quentin Kennison, John Taylor, and Philip Keller. Now, with Keller in particular, he has no relation to Tim Keller that I know of, but Philip Keller's life experience offers a unique perspective on this subject today because he's a Christian who made his livelihood as a shepherd for about eight years, not just anywhere, in East Africa, right, where the style of shepherding is more primitive, very similar to the way it was done in the Middle East in biblical times. So he's written multiple books interpreting this biblical motif of shepherding based upon his experience. So I'll be drawing from him some today, but let's dive in. If the Lord is our shepherd, I suppose we need to begin with the unflattering implication of that, that we as humans then are like sheep. This is unflattering, of course, because sheep are not the best and brightest animals around, not by a long shot. Sheep have been known to follow one another right off a cliff, but also to get easily lost. Thus, the prophet Isaiah famously wrote that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. But those aren't the only risks for sheep. Keller explains how sheep are prone to many habits that will in time lead to their demise. For example, 
he explains that if sheep are left to their own devices, they prefer to feed in favored spots. This means that even if there is fresh pasture nearby, mere yards away, sheep will continue grazing in their favored spot all the way down to the dirt. This is a problem because not only does it eventually render that area of the pasture useless, but in the shorter term, overgrazed areas can quickly become infested with parasites. Those parasites then lead to scabbing on the sheep, most commonly on the tops of their heads. And this is what the scripture is referring to when it talks about blemished lambs scabbing from the parasites of poorly cared for sheep. In addition to their self-destructive habits, sheep are also very fearful. Keller recounts how one day a friend came in from the city and brought along her tiny Pekingese pup. Now, I had to Google this, but this is a tiny little pup. They call them a, a toy dog, right? Six, seven pounds, something like that. So here's this little puppy, less than 10 pounds, but, but when it jumped out of the car onto the grass, Keller says that more than 200 of his sheep that were resting nearby leaped up in terror and rushed off across the pasture at the side of this little toy dog. He says just one glimpse of the unexpected little dog was enough because as long as there is even the slightest suspicion of danger from dogs, from coyotes, from cougars, bears, and other enemies, the sheep stand up ready to flee for their lives. Indeed, we are sheep. (laughs) Sheep, of course, are this way, though, because they have little or no means of self-defense. Now, I could add some other stories from Keller about sheep and the ways their characteristics are similar to us as humans, but I'll save those for life group discussions. Suffice it to say, though, that the fearfulness that stems from their genuine vulnerability and their self-sabotaging habits and stubbornness, doing things their own way, this means that domesticated sheep are completely dependent upon shepherds to survive. Thus, the implication of us being like sheep is that we, as humans, have an innate need to be shepherded, to be cared for and protected and provided for in a manner that is best compared to what shepherds do for their sheep. Well, as the theme of humanity's need to be shepherded is woven throughout Scripture, it's likely no coincidence that Moses and David, who had become the two greatest leaders of God's people in the Old Testament, that both of them were previously shepherds. Before being called by God, they were tending sheep. And then God called them to tend and to lead his people. First, with Moses, he'd grown up as a a prince, an adopted prince of sorts, if you all know the story. He'd grown up a prince in Pharaoh's household before initially fleeing Egypt himself for the land of Midian. And there in Midian, Moses would work as a shepherd for 40 years. 
before encountering the burning bush from whence God called him to return to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Well, surely Moses' 40 years as a shepherd, surely those years were good preparation for the 40 years he would then lead the people through the desert. Because that time would include no shortage of episodes where the people would complain about their needs to be provided for, food and drink, where they would cower in fear about enemies, and where they would go astray time and time again. Then David, of course, had famously come in from shepherding in the pastures to visit his brothers at the battle line against the, the enemy, the Philistines, when he volunteered to take on the warrior Goliath. And it was the slingshot skills that David had honed for years in protecting his flock that allowed him to slay that giant. Well, David would later go on to be the greatest shepherd king, king that Israel would ever know. But he would also be the poet who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd the 23rd Psalm that we read together today. Well, despite these two shining examples, really, for the most part, not perfect, but pretty darn shining examples, who did a pretty good job of shepherding God's people Israel, Moses and David were unfortunately the exception, not the rule. Because on the whole, Israel's leaders were very poor shepherds for God's people. And in particular, this was true of the kings who came after David, many of whom actually explicitly referred to themselves as shepherds, but were anything but. Or at least they weren't good shepherds. This had certainly proven to be the case by the time of the, the prophet Ezekiel, who we heard from this morning. About 400 years after King David's reign, Ezekiel was in his 20s trained to be a priest in Jerusalem. When the king at the time surrendered the great city of Jerusalem to the army of the Babylonians. This was the year 597. And once this happened, the Babylonians then took 10,000 of Jerusalem's finest into exile in Babylon. And Ezekiel was among those 10,000 who were taken kind of that first, first load of the best of the best into exile. And it wasn't until there, in exile, that God called Ezekiel to be his prophet. Right, so this is 597. Well, 10 years later, in 587 or so, word reaches Ezekiel that Jerusalem and the temple have now been destroyed. And it is after hearing this news that God leads Ezekiel to write the prophecy that we read from in our first lesson today. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord makes clear that Judah and Jerusalem's demise is a consequence of poor shepherding. He writes in verse 1, the, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? And the Lord then proceeds to excoriate Israel's rulers for their failure to be shepherds that the people needed. 
fact, scholar John Taylor summarizes God's accusations here in the early part of this passage as being threefold. First, God condemns the kings of Israel for having cruelly exploited the people under their care, fleecing them and fattening themselves at the people's expense. He writes in verse 3, Ezekiel, or this is speaking for God, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Second, in addition to exploiting their own sheep, God says these kings showed none of the pastoral qualities that were required of them in caring for the weak and defenseless members of the community. Verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. It was fascinating to read Keller describe what a difference the quality of a shepherd makes in the life of his sheep. He said on the farm um, next to his ranch, his first ranch that he had, he said there was a tenant shepherd there who was what he calls the most indifferent manager of sheep that he'd ever met. He says this shepherd was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. The land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best as they could. And Keller says that the sheep fell prey to dogs, cougars, rustlers. I don't even know what a rustler is. Every year, these poor creatures, he said, were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. He says shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted, muddy water to drink. Keller summarizes that their shepherd was just callous, just didn't care for the sheep. He says that he can still picture this shepherd's sheep standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on his side. Kind of breaks your heart. Well, it would seem that this is an apt metaphor for the kings of Judah, which leads to the Lord's third and final indictment of them in verses 5 and 6, that they allow, allowed their sheep to be scattered. This, of course, is referring ultimately to the exile, but Ezekiel writes, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd or no good one, and they became food for all the wild beasts. He says, My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So not surprisingly, by verse 10, God declares that he is against these shepherds of Israel. But ultimately, this prophecy is good news for the people, for the sheep. Because due to the abject failure of their worldly rulers to serve them well, God declares that he, he himself, will shepherd his people from now on. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And then the Lord essentially, after this, essentially promises to be for his people what David described in Psalm 23. 
Picking up in verse 13, the Lord says that after gathering his people, he'll bring them into their own land. He'll feed them on the mountains of Israel. He'll feed them with good pasture. They'll lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will shepherd, be the shepherd of my sheep, and will make them lie down. I will seek the lost, will bring back the stray, will bind up the injured, will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And the Lord does what he promises here. Within just 70 years of the writing of this prophecy, the Babylonian Empire had fallen, and the Persians who defeated them would send God's people back to their land, and the Jerusalem temple would be rebuilt on Persia's dime, no less. Well, in contrast to the bad shepherd, listen to how Keller characterizes a good shepherd here in you know, in, the real, in real life, the real world. He says, A good shepherd is one for whom no trouble is too great as he cares for his flock. He is fond of his sheep. Fond of his sheep. This isn't the mass kind of ag... I'm going to stay away from that one. He's fond of his sheep. He knows them. He loves them for their own sake as well as his personal pleasure in them. He will, if necessary, be on the job 24 hours a day to see that they are properly provided for in every detail. And above all, Keller says, a good shepherd is very jealous of his name and high reputation as a good shepherd. He wants to be known that way. And he cares if he would be perceived as being anything else for his, his sheep than a good shepherd. And for him, there is no greater reward, no deeper satisfaction than seeing his sheep contented, well-fed, safe, and flourishing under his care. Keller says this is indeed the shepherd's very life. He gives all he has to it. He literally lays himself out for those who are his. He will go to no end of trouble and labor to supply them with the finest grazing, the richest pasturage, ample winter feed, and clean water. He will spare no pains to provide shelter from storms and protect from protection from ruthless enemies and diseases and parasites that the sheep are so susceptible to. So indeed, God is the good shepherd his people needed and the good shepherd that we need. And yet at the end of this prophecy, God speaks of an even greater future for his people when he will set over them a shepherd. This shepherd will be from the line of David, God says. He says in verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. We'll fast forward to our gospel passage from John chapter 10 today, and Jesus is claiming this prophecy. He's saying, that's me. I am he. I am the good shepherd Ezekiel prophesied about. In Jesus, of course, we see the starkest contrast between his good shepherding and the shepherding of worldly powers that we're otherwise subjected to. For a few Sundays leading up to Easter, we talked about the ways the rulers over God's people in Jesus' day 
had used power and privilege that they were born into to exploit their own people, the Sadducees, the priestly class, and so on. I suggested to you that this was what Jesus was really protesting when he turned over the tables in the temple. And then you may recall the next Sunday we looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now get this, in Matthew's telling of the feeding of the 5,000, how does it start out? It starts out, that story begins with Matthew saying that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless and what? Like sheep without a shepherd. So with these people having turned away from the bad shepherds in Jerusalem and run after Jesus across the country, in the miracle of the loaves and fish, Jesus was inviting the people into his kingdom way of living to trust him to be their shepherd. To trust him to care about their needs. Well, last Sunday we got to see the fruit of two people who made that choice to let Jesus shepherd them, didn't we? In the story from Acts chapter 4 that we wrapped up in our second lesson today, we saw that stark difference between the ways of the rulers of the world, the powerful. We saw what? That they were controlled by fear, ultimately. Ultimately had an insecurity underneath all that bravado. And yet the ways of Peter and John, they were living with the Lord as their shepherd and were able to love their enemies and be at peace in circumstances where most people would be freaking the heck out, right? Can we see that, that the choice is the same for us? Who are we trusting in? Who are we hoping in? I don't mean just in theory or when we're singing the song on Sunday. I mean on Tuesday afternoon when we flip on the news or when we flick it off. Who are we hoping in? See, this is where the metaphor of us being like sheep actually sort of breaks down. Because unlike actual sheep, we get to choose who shepherds us. Those neighbor sheep that Keller is talking about, right? Did they have a choice? You know, they were longing, looking through that fence like, what did we do to deserve this junky shepherd, right? They had no choice. We have a choice who shepherds us. Now, perhaps you might say that in the big picture, Jesus chose us, and fine. <laughs> Hallelujah, right? Thanks be to God that he did. But in a daily sense, it is our choice whether to trust him or trust the shepherds of the world. It's our choice to determine the extent that we're open to his shepherding or going to go our own stubborn and fearful ways. Be fairly miserable. But given that Jesus is not visibly present to us, that it's a spiritual relationship, to sort of supplement this, you might say, he does very clearly appoint what we might call under-shepherds from among his followers to teach and represent his will to other believers. 
One of the more famous examples where Jesus does this explicitly is when he commissions Peter in John chapter 21 to, to quote, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, right? He says it three times. Now notice in that language that Jesus uses, they're still Jesus' sheep. Jesus doesn't say, here, Peter, these are your sheep now. No, he says, feed my lambs, Peter, tend my sheep. They're still Jesus' sheep, but Jesus appoints human leaders to his flock. Well, this speaks to the fact that that once we've chosen for Jesus to shepherd us, we then have the subsequent task of determining which human shepherds best represent him and whom we will therefore give authority to. Or I should probably flip that around. I should say, we then have the choice of whom we will give authority to, and we would be best to choose those who best represent Jesus, right? But how do we do that? How do we choose wisely? Well, Scripture tells us that the essential qualification of people whom we give authority to as under-shepherds should be men and women who are, quote, filled with the Spirit. Now, we've got to be careful with how we understand what that means, I'll get into that in a second. But have you noticed that that in Acts, the last few weeks, the apostle Peter and John, they keep being described as being filled with the Spirit, right? Whenever they're about to speak boldly to the crowd or the rulers or whomever, it's like, yeah, they're filled with the Spirit. In other words, they don't do this in their own, you know, the the world around us likes to say that boldness and courage comes from within us, right? Like watch a Nike commercial or something. It's, It's all in you. Well, no. Godly courage and boldness to be faithful for Jesus comes from his Holy Spirit and our fellowship in the community, our our dependence upon him and his body. That's how we become people who are bold for Jesus in loving ways. But even today, though, in verse 31, it says that, that Peter and John, their fellow believers, were, quote, filled with the Holy Spirit as they continued to seek the word of God with boldness. So good shepherds, will have the mark of the Spirit. But again, we need to be clear about what that means because this label has been thrown around recklessly in the church, right? Whew, a lot. Right, it's been recklessly thrown around to refer to to pastors or leaders who may speak in very persuasive ways or very inspirational ways or who even seem, or maybe do, perform miracles. I'm here to tell you today that that is not what being filled with the Spirit is or means. What that is, is that's being impressive. That's being impressive. A lot of the church, I've made this mistake, right, in my own journey, have confused being filled with the Spirit with being impressive in seemingly spiritual ways. Right? But being impressive is not a fruit of the Spirit. Being impressive is not a fruit of the Spirit. I've known people who fashion themselves as being filled with the Spirit, but who in truth turn out to be quite wicked, quite abusive people, right? Maybe Maybe the church doesn't always recognize it, but kind of in time, the fruits they bear are about self-promotion, about manipulating, about power, worldly power. The mark of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit, whether they're formally a church leader or not, 
is that their lives are characterized by a loyalty to Jesus. Not to their own ministry success, not to building their own kingdom, right? But a loyalty to Jesus and an obedience to his commands. Now, of course, no human being is going to do these perfectly, right? Just like Moses and David had their, you know, unfortunate episodes, I think we can agree. But Jesus did teach. He did teach in in Matthew 7. He taught that we'll be able to discern the wolves in sheep's clothing, how? By their fruits. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What's not on that list? Being impressive, signs and wonders. Paul left that off. So we, we need to choose carefully whom we give authority to speak into our life. And I'm not just talking about our pastor. I'm talking about who we're tuning into on the TV. All these, you know, God, the televangelist and the, the Christian celebrities. I mean, 99 times out of 100, like, just stay away. So a difference between us and actual sheep, where the metaphor breaks down, is that we get to choose our shepherd. We get to choose whether to allow Jesus to shepherd us or not. And we get to choose our under-shepherds, the humans that we give authority to speak into our lives. But a final way that this metaphor breaks down a bit before I close is that Jesus also gives us as sheep the opportunity to shepherd others. I'm not merely talking about those who are ordained ministers. I'm talking about all believers, the priesthood of all believers, as Peter calls it. And this is, this is where the metaphor sort of breaks down, right? You don't think of sheep as shepherding other sheep. Except among the Bedouin shepherds, Bedouin are a people, kind of a desert people, particularly around Egypt. The Bedouin shepherds do have something called a bell sheep. the shepherd would, will put a clanging bell around this bell sheep's neck and use that sheep to help him to steer the rest of the herd and to promote cohesion among the other sheep. But how does the shepherd choose the bell sheep? He chooses the bell sheep based on how willingly and lovingly that sheep follows him, the shepherd, and his voice commands, right? the most loyal and obedient. Well, this is to say that we all have this opportunity in ways. God will provide us opportunities to the extent that we're faithful with what he's already given, the opportunities already given. Any of us can seize these opportunities, though, to serve others. But, but the question is, for whose sake are we doing it when we serve? All too often, it's easy for our service to be motivated by advancing ourselves and bolstering our own ego. And what that's a sign of, though, is a deficiency in us letting Jesus shepherd us. In time, that'll lead to emptiness, that'll lead to burnout, to disappointment, exhaustion. And so our capacity to shepherd others faithfully, to be bell sheep, 
that's going to directly correlate to our own willingness to let Jesus shepherd us in our daily lives rather than seeking our glory from the world. So today we celebrate that Jesus is the good shepherd. Of that there is little doubt. But is he our good shepherd? Will we allow him to shepherd us? And how? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.